Hello, everyone, and welcome. My name is Jana Panaritis, and you're listening to the AgeWise podcast, where we give you strategies for aging well and wisely. And how do you do that when on top of struggling to meet the demands of your own life, you're also caring for an aging parent or a spouse, or maybe you're caring for another member of your family? Well, we're here to help. Each week, we'll hear from the experts, professionals in the field of aging, and people like you, unsung heroes rising to the occasion of caring for a loved one and finding unexpected rewards along the way. So stick around for some straight talk on aging in all its unpredictable glory. I'm excited to welcome today's guest because she has a broad range of experience in the healthcare industry. Evelyn Godwin is the Vice President of Corporate and Clinical Programs for Diogenic Group, a Washington, D.C. healthcare professional services firm and consultancy. Evelyn's background includes work in clinical nursing at both the acute care and community levels. She's also worked in healthcare administration in the areas of long-term care, home health, business development, health policy, and advocacy. It's safe to say that when it comes to healthcare, Evelyn Godwin has truly seen it all. Evelyn, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. I'm excited to be here, and I also wanted to share that I really enjoyed uh, looking at your website. You have have uh, great material on there, and congratulations on your new book. Oh, thanks. You're welcome. Some people try out different careers before settling on one thing, but you've worked in healthcare from day one. Can you tell us how you got started in this field and why you chose to pursue it? I, I remember being 14 and the Vietnam War was going on at the time and for whatever impact that had on me. I recalled reading stories about Florence Nightingale and somehow just related that to the Vietnam War and I thought, well, I'd like to be a nurse. And with my mom's encouragement, she had not had the opportunity to have an education and fiercely instilled in me the appreciation for one, as she said, I did not have that opportunity, and by God, you will. Mm-hmm. And so I always took that with with a measure, measure of gratitude and appreciation and, and never took that uh, opportunity for granted. Mm-hmm. And where did you grow up? I was born in Manhattan, so started off in a very uh, high-intensity place, and then my family moved out to Long Island to a quieter suburb, and so I have memories of both ways of life as part of my background. Mm-hmm. Sisters and brothers? Uh, one brother still lives in New York. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. And are your parents still alive? They are not, unfortunately. Oh, sorry. My dad was a captain in the New York City Fire Department and was killed in the line of duty, unfortunately, when he was only 40. And then uh, my mom was 38, I was 19, and my brother was 10. So we were a very young family with certainly a traumatic change. Mm -hmm. It it affected everything. Yeah, Um, yeah. I I mean, as, as as I... I had already had the thoughts of going into nursing. However, at age 19, as I was engaging in my college preparation for that direction, um, it certainly impacted because even though I had not started the formal nursing part, 
I was still looking at this from a nursing perspective of, okay, how do, how do I handle this? How do I get through it? How do I both be a good big sister for my brother and how do I support my mom who had tremendous challenges coping? Mm-hmm. So I was kind of thrown into that role of kind of a, a significant caregiver for my family at age 19. Mm-hmm. And there are many people who have been thrust into that role with far less at a younger age and others at an older. And, you know, I, I, even at that age, I tried to keep all of that in perspective. But since my mom was having a tough time, I kind of had to look to other sources for the support that I needed mm-hmm. and, um, you know, was trying to stay focused in my studies and found that to be a difficult year. And I did have the good fortune of a college professor who was teaching my uh, philosophy and the healing arts class. Mm. And he was a social worker by background and he basically just just from a distance gave sometimes some supportive words or a couple of supportive books. I tried to attend a couple of classes that where I could could have additional learning and then just utilize that in my experiences. And I was fortunate, uh, I guess, in some levels to have come from a um, you know, I had had 12 years of Catholic school, so I had a Christian supportive upbringing, mm-hmm. and I tended to look at at things, at this whole experience, that things happen for a reason, mm-hmm. and that even from unfortunate and difficult circumstances, there can be good things that come out of that. And that gave me part of the strength that I needed. It was tremendously painful. Sure. Um, but at the same time, I, I just tried to view it as, okay, I will learn from this. This will make me a better person. Uh-huh. And in fact, it did. And many, many, many years later, I looked back to my own personal experiences of both my reaction to the loss of our dad, as well as just seeing the either the coping or lack of coping within mm-hmm. my family, mm-hmm. and was therefore able to perhaps be more supportive or instructive to people as I helped them go through similar type situations. Mm-hmm. So... Early in my career, I, you know, my focus was on graduating from nursing school, which I did. I had the opportunity to begin working at Beth Israel Hospital in Boston, mm-hmm. um, where I worked for a few years as a nurse and was just focused on gaining my clinical skills and trying to make a difference. Uh, to people where I could with what my limited experience was. And and I say that because now in retrospect, I, of course, have a, a more enhanced view of, mm-hmm. of life and what we have the opportunity to do. And, it, and at times, of course, even right now, I feel that there is so much yet to tap into and accomplish. But back then, I had the opportunity to go to graduate school where I gained a master's in community health nursing administration and went on with my career from there. I 
wound up actually being away from the bedside for about 15 years Mm -hmm. um, as I built a national department and did consulting and worked with some law firms. And that all gave me tremendous, I guess, national and administrative experience and was amazed to find myself back at the bedside. Actually, life just takes us down interesting turns sometimes. Mm -hmm. And with being back at the bedside, just having had more experience, I was able to view my nursing as a gift and as the chance to impact upon people in a different way. So I I just continued that process of finding that there were different ways where I could uh, make that difference. And, And sometimes someone would say, God gave you to me today. Thank you for being my nurse. Uh There is just nothing more deep and empowering than that. And sometimes it was only being their nurse for four hours Uh uh, because of the way that the shift was. And I got sent to that unit for four hours. Uh And for someone to say that makes one pause and think, okay, is there something going on here bigger than what I'm thinking about because, Mm -hmm. you know, it had been a busy and intense first eight hours. You're scrambling, you're sent to another unit. You wonder, okay, why couldn't I (laughs) just have stayed with my patients for those other four hours? This Mm -hmm. is really difficult. Mm -hmm. And then to hear someone say that, I stopped complaining. Yeah, I started realizing, okay, why am I being sent here? Maybe I am supposed to connect with whoever I am being blessed to take care of for these four hours. Let me just go and be there and see whatever good and difference I can make. Some days there was nothing. Some days there was everything. Yeah. And I went home saying, thank you, God, for that experience. Uh huh. Do you have any uh, memories of specific interactions that you had with a patient? Does anyone stick out? There was one example. I, I remember um, it, was a, it was actually a short, a short time, maybe, maybe several months, a couple months um, after my husband died. Um, and, you know, we can talk about that too. But, mm-hmm. but there was a, a new admission I had one day and someone, a gentleman in their early 60s had some kidney problems his younger wife and his nine-year-old, ten-year-old daughter. I, I forget mm-hmm. the specifics, some, mm-hmm. somewhere along those lines. Mm-hmm. And upon just simply beginning the interview with them to begin the intake of data and getting him set up as a patient on our unit, um, just asking the simple question of, who is your primary doctor? And he paused and his wife jumped in saying, he thinks he's his own primary doctor. (laughs) And she kind of rolled her eyes and shared exasperation. And to me, this was an opportunity to take that initiative to make a difference. And I just immediately, I don't know what prompted it. I just immediately said to him, you have a lovely wife and beautiful daughter. I am sorry, but you can no longer take that attitude. You have people who are important to you and you need to take care of yourself and you need to have primary physician and Mm -hmm. follow up. Mm -hmm. And it was very interesting, you know, because we continued then with the basics of the interview um, this was his first day on our unit. He wound up staying there for 30 days. Hmm, I wow. really did not have interaction with him over those next 30 days, mm-hmm. um, but happened 
to be his nurse on his day of discharge. Hmm. And what are the odds? And on that day of discharge, he said, I just want you to know I remember what you said. And he took that to heart, and Hmm. it meant he was going to follow up and take better charge of his life. And, you know, so whatever, I don't know where things went from there, but to me that was... That was one example of uh-huh. being able to take a pivotal moment and make a difference. He must have remembered what you said if you hadn't seen him for 30 days. I mean, that was exactly. something that was memorable to him. And, you know, exactly. as you were speaking, it occurred to me that in all of your dealings or uh, many of your dealings, you're really called upon to be rather diplomatic in how you you speak with the family members, right? Yes. they can. There can be many sensitive moments. We do not necessarily know all of the nature and dynamics of the interactions. I just tend to view life from a spiritual way. I, I will not say that I'm a hundred percent practicing of whatever religion. Mm-hmm. I I feel that there is a force that is sometimes larger than ourselves, and I feel very much that that is part of my life, and I trust in that, Mm -hmm. and I just trust that maybe I'm there for a reason, and I'll do whatever I can see where I can have that impact, Mm -hmm. hopefully. Mm -hmm. I could be wrong. (laughs) <laughs> so that's my perspective. So well, I, I think it's a it. really positive one and one that that others could take to heart <laughs> um, <laughs> in, in the healthcare field. But you know, there are a lot of great people who work in the healthcare field. If we Absolutely. could, if we could go back for a moment to your husband's death, which I wasn't going to ask you about, but you brought it up. So since you did, I'm 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 glad that you're open to talking about that. Um, sure. And and uh, a little bit about your experience around that time. Yeah. Um, so my husband and I, we, we met, um, I guess, a, a little bit later in life, slightly. He was 40, um, I guess, 45 when we met. I was 31, so a slight age difference between us. I mm-hmm. um, loved him deeply and looked up to him and um, learned learned a lot from him. And uh, unfortunately... Um, you know, his his life became impacted by um, some heart disease and diabetes, and, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, he had been a very, very um, strong person, um, and so it was hard to see those changes mm-hmm. that, uh, you know, eventually occurred. And uh, as a nurse returning to the bedside, um, I wound up on a uh, heart surgery and transplant unit um, in Fairfax, Virginia, and a few months after arriving there, he wound up as a patient on my unit Hmm. and uh, wound up going through heart surgery and uh, seeing everyone else do so, so incredibly well on that unit. I thought, okay, you know, we've gone through the heart surgery, we're through the toughest part. Mm-hmm. Um, but he had to also have a uh, defibrillator pacemaker placed. And amazingly, as we're riding down in the elevator to the procedure, he, he said, I can't believe I have to have this thing done on my birthday. Mm. Um, and unfortunately, he 
did not come out of that procedure, so he also died on his birthday. Oh, and, gosh. Yeah, so, and this had been his second heart attack, the first when he was 49, and the second when he was 59. And so it was just a, I, I of course, knew the possibility and knew the risks, mm-hmm. both as a nurse and with working on that unit, but it was still a shock. Yeah. And uh, traumatic. And I wound up working back on that same unit one week later Mm. with my life totally changed Mm. and sending people back in for those same procedures and seeing them come out and doing beautifully and going home. Oh, how heartbreaking. It it was, actually. It it really was. Um, Mm. At the same time, I was very glad for them. They were having better outcomes. And again, at this juncture in my life, I tried to look at it once again, Uh, again, reflecting on the, the sudden death of my dad and now the sudden death of my husband and saying, okay, you know, what can I learn and maybe this happened for a reason. Mm-hmm. What sort of support system did you have? Well, at the time, I had um, some distant family who visited for the ceremony, mm-hmm. um, you know, the, the funeral, and, and they, of course, needed to quickly go back to their own busy lives. Mm-hmm. And my husband and I had moved to the area just a year before. Mm-hmm. Virginia. So my, mm-hmm. From yes, yeah, so my main support turned out to be my coworkers, mm-hmm. and they watched me go through that that tragic experience, and were were there when I had those sudden overwhelming moments of of grief that that would tend to hit hit it at when least expected, mm-hmm. and uh, as the realization you know would would just come in and they would give those moments of a hug and support and then we all had to continue going on with our busy days. Yeah. Um, caring for everyone else because right. the focus was on them. Right. So it was quite an experience, but I will forever be just so grateful for their moments of kindness and tenderness that, that gave me the strength to get through that difficult moment and then keep going. And I went through a very spiritual growing experience through those few months. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes those difficult moments came at work. Sometimes those difficult moments came as I was out at the store. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and just, you know, I was looking at a card and, you know, I, I would see a card maybe that I would want to give my husband and I yeah. could no longer buy that card and give it to him because he was no longer alive. Yeah. I would get hit with a moment of grief. And I remember, uh, you know, someone in a Hallmark store just seeing that and reaching out and giving a quick hug. And oh. that gave me that strength. So I, I know the moments of vulnerability. I see that both as a person and a human being with others at times. I see it at moments as a nurse when I am in those that role. And I just always tend to keep those personal experiences that sometimes our strengths, sometimes our moments of support come from mm-hmm. unexpected places or people. And there, there was a book at the at the time it was called living with uncertainty hmm. and 
you know, there was just a line in the book that that gave me strength, and it it, it was a, a the heading of a chapter that said, "Listen to the whispers," hmm. and sometimes there were whispers of strength that came from other people or situations. Um, there was there was an especially um, deep experience I had actually. It was it was around three weeks after my husband died on that same unit and there was it was a difficult day and I remember the visitor of one of my patients he wasn't necessarily a family member but a but a close person in that process and he was visiting the unit and he saw I was having a very difficult day and he saw me sitting at the desk doing my my charting and walked up to me for a moment and just slipped the candy bar <laughs> in front of me <laughs> oh. as, as a moment of support. It was very sweet. And it prompted me to then say thank you very much. My husband just died three weeks ago. So, so yes, I am having a difficult time. Thank you so much. And that was kind of the end of it until uh-huh. the next day he walked back with a letter that he wrote to me. And that letter to this day gave such incredible support, and it it referenced the fact that my husband had just died and I was going through a major change. And I would like to share um, just the last paragraph of the letter. He He talked about how memories, I'll paraphrase a little bit, how memories of our loved ones that over time they begin to fade. Mm-hmm. And we realize that we can wake up and sometimes our memories of those ones who we love so dearly can look cloudy. Mm-hmm. And we feel badly that we maybe cannot remember everything as clearly as we did. But he he said less important than how someone looked in life is the memory of how they made us feel. Little things, the feelings of warmth and love and what they meant to you will remain with us always and that gave me tremendous strength and he went on to say you now have the greatest opportunity to grow ever given you what you make of this opportunity rests entirely on you and one thing you know now for sure is that life is too short to neglect opportunity maybe that is the most important lesson learned here You'll hopefully find that you are now more sensitive to those little things. The sun does rise for everyone. I know that now you notice it more. Mm-hmm. Norman Vincent Peale once said that you can be greater than anything that can happen to you. I invite you to accept that as a challenge. But you are the one that has to wake up each morning and tell yourself, today I choose to do whatever it takes. Today, I will abandon the comfort zone in my life and enter the fear zone and conquer it. Never forget that life has little to do with where you have been. It has everything to do with where you are going. Make the most of and enjoy the journey. So walk faster, talk louder, and above all, dearest Evelyn, smile. Oh, my gosh. Did this guy have wings on his back? (laughs) I I'm, I cannot even begin to say. Who was but, this man? 
Um, was he was a complete stranger to you? He was a complete stranger. And he took the time to write that letter. He needed to tell you that for his reasons too. I think. It, it, I think so. There was yeah. there was something, and wow. it, you know, I have shared the entirety of that letter that letter with an occasional person when they are going through mm-hmm. a similarly difficult experience and i have felt that it would give them strength on some level mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. it was obviously an incredibly meaningful letter to me it gave me such tremendous strength at the time mm-hmm. and uh, you know it, as the first Three months following my husband's death, I was going through a you know an active grieving and learning process, and you know always always approached life with trying to make the best of a situation mm-hmm. and, and saying okay you know these 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 difficult things happen we must now move on. But that letter just kind of drove home that point, and you know three months later, then I finally started to pull myself and position myself to get back re-engaged with, okay, what, what are these next areas I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to grow on and where can I make a difference? And that has just continued to be an active part of my being as a person and me as a nurse and, um, you know, just those little moments mm-hmm. that, that are mm-hmm. precious. So how long ago did your husband die? In... 2003. So that was 12 years ago. So yeah, you've been holding years. on to that letter for 12 years. Yeah. Yes, I have. I'm so glad that you brought that up because, you know, grief and death is such a heavy topic. And yet yeah. there are good things that can come out of it. And we just, we really don't talk about death that much in this country. We True. see so much violence on TV. We've become mm-hmm. almost inured to the reality of death because of the video game like way that it's presented and we've become desensitized but there is a way to talk about death that is positive without being rose colored mm-hmm. uh, I'd be yeah. I'd be fascinated to know where that gentleman is now but you know on the other yeah. hand you don't really need to know because you got yeah, what you correct. you needed just as a, as a follow-up comment you know when I I had the unexpected opportunity to become a hospice nurse it was because of the life experiences regarding the way that my dad died, my husband died, um, my mom, who had been ill with cancer, and having dealt with each of those situations and just seeing my own family impact, it, it was a way of being able then as a hospice nurse to say, okay, I've already been through it and dealt with it. Now I'm able to walk into very special moments with people's families and be able to bring that strength and make a difference in some of those situations. Mm-hmm. So it was a very privileged time period of my life to be able to do that as well. Mm-hmm. I'm going to shift a little bit and go kind of back to the healthcare industry and ask you how you think the industry has changed over the years with regard to how care is provided and maybe what families expect? It's a big question, but dive in wherever you want. Yes, it, it is a big question. I think um, health care has always been, it, it's always been geared to a higher purpose, obviously, to care for 
each of us individually and, and collectively as humans and give the best support possible. I guess the availability or limitations of resources impact that whole experience. I remember as, I mean, I went to a baccalaureate nursing program, but as part of that, you know, the it was very much front and center as a nurse to extend the art and caring of nursing and at the time even being able to take that moment and at times give someone a uh, a back rub if you know quick back rub if that was what would help give them comfort and help them go to sleep and uh, un- unfortunately nursing has become so intense and busy that mm-hmm. you know that has changed the demands for organizations to survive financially with other limited resources, it, it pushes everything. And it, we have to struggle to find those extra moments where we can take that time. So I think that that's stressful for everyone. I've seen also the expectations of patients and families increase, and that increases the stresses and pressures. Increase. Um, Mm -hmm. Yes. You know, I think the Internet, the availability of communications and sharing is all, all part of that. You know, the whole focus has changed. Right, because you know, now people can go on WebMD and think they can <laughs> find all yeah, the answers. Yeah, and, and there's, yeah. there's much, you know, they maybe get one page out of the book, but without the rest of the book, it still doesn't give all the pieces of the picture that need to be looked at. And, you know, people are, are much more focused on, okay, the, this is me. <laughs> mm-hmm. And... I, I just think the whole focus of consumerism has impacted everything. Mm-hmm. So, Evelyn, what are you excited about as a healthcare professional going forward? Well, uh, I'm excited that there is a continuing focus on uh, standards of care and trying to make the best experience for patients and their families. I think the demands of the time can make that process sometimes more challenging, but the focus is definitely an honorable one. I think there's also more of a view that um, the the family is an extension of the patient, so to speak, Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. trying to incorporate them as much as possible into that process and taking care of all of them, even though the focus may be on the patient. Mm -hmm. I've read that some hospitals actually are starting to change the way nurses change shifts, that rather than handing off assignments sort of in the hallway, um, nurses are meeting in the presence of the patient at their bedside during the handover to debrief them, the patients and the family members. It's kind of a, a safety strategy that benefits the patient and, you know, alleviates patient and family stress and it sort of gives empowerment during this shift. Uh, are you familiar with that trend at all? Oh, it, it definitely. I've uh, definitely been uh, part of that process during the, the times that I uh, work in the hospital still. And it, it definitely helps for the patient to be involved in the process and they, they know what has been communicated. And and so it helps everyone, correct. You know, I, I think from my role as a nurse, part of the foundation of how we approach our care is in order to meet the needs of the patient and the family, we need to meet them 
where they are. Some patients, some family members have more exposure, more involvement in the aspects of their care. Some people are more ready to deal with it um, than others. Sometimes there is a patient where the family says, okay, don't tell them their diagnosis. And that is something that creates tremendous conflict, at least within me as a caregiver, because then that patient, that person, does not have the opportunity to be part of the decision-making and help to direct how that care should, should evolve. But yet, you know, when you're needing to perform additional blood tests or procedures, you, you cannot just keep that person in the dark, even though that's what the family is asking. But that is a dynamic where you need to meet that patient and that family with where they are um, in order to be able to proceed. And possibly before even being able to tell the patient, then we need to first deal with the, the feelings of the family member and help them to cope so that then we can help the patient. Mm-hmm. So from that measure, having the increase transparency is helpful because you cannot deal with something that is not out there in the open. Mm -hmm. Have you come up against language barriers? Oh, absolutely, all the time. And that can be, uh, I mean, obviously there are many languages, you know, and I I guess there's language versus communication barriers. Right, important point. Because obviously there can be people with visual hearing deficits, etc. But from a a language standpoint, many hospitals and healthcare organizations have experienced that. And therefore, we have those support mechanisms where there there can be the connection via a, a, a translator through a language line or someone within the hospital who can be there face to face. Um, but even the language lines over the phone work tremendously. They bring that third party in and help that process. And sometimes there are multiple times throughout the day because of that person's situation and how we need to re- interact um, multiple times, whether it's through a procedure or anything else. Sometimes we're able to set up enough during that language uh, line encounter that it gives us the base to to get through the next couple of hours with either communicating through hand gestures because we establish okay you know squeezing the hand once means a yes twice uh-huh. means a no uh-huh. uh, you know so there are different ways hmm. of adapting through it but the importance is uh, as in any situation if there is a barrier then in order to be able to deliver that care we need to find a way to work through it. Uh-huh. There is such a focus on being able to get past that that language barrier in in most healthcare organizations that many or most of them either arrange access for that language line or they know what their population is and what kind of translators they need to have on site. You know, I mean, it'd be both prohibitive and unnecessary to have every single language uh, Mm -hmm. 24-7. But the language, uh, you know, the phone language line gives access to that. And again, in some cases, the the need for that may be sufficiently limited. But I, I think with all the applications that are developed out there, people on a general basis probably have access to that themselves. Mm -hmm. This is maybe taking things in a slightly different direction, just as an anecdote. 
especially when we closed down for reconstruction the uh, assisted living facility at which I was mm-hmm. director of health services. One of our residents was from Greece. And I was asked to accompany him back to his native Greece. Oh, my gosh. Um, so I, I uh, had the opportunity to accompany him on the flight and be his nurse. I went and stayed at the assisted living facility for three days where we were transferring him to to help get him settled. And, oh, my gosh. Um, was it just in Athens? Yes, it was in wow. Athens. Wow. So it was a wonderful opportunity. And uh, so I did that for... Did he speak Greek, uh, English? Well, the thing is, I obviously, I do not speak any Greek. But, right. uh, but it, you know, I had spent some time in France. Mm-hmm. But I must admit, in going to Greece with the different alphabet, everything was different. Mm-hmm. And uh, had it not been for some of the folks who could speak English, it just... It, it just would have been a whole different experience. So I'm very thankful for that. But but it's a reminder of how overwhelming it can feel to be in a different culture yeah. and a d- different experience. And to take that back then, you know, for someone coming to this country where maybe they are visiting and it's just their patient experience where now their health is threatened hmm. and they're only just visiting over here and how scary that can be. Mm-hmm. So just it just attests to the importance of um, being able to provide those additional supports as needed. Mm-hmm. What an interesting experience that you never wouldn't have had. <laughs> I mean, that's really cool. It was cool. You know, it was just my luck to be in that situation and and uh, so you, you get know, a trip to life. Greece too. <laughs> that, that's right, trip of a lifetime for Sweet. me. And uh, okay, you know, it threw me back into the hospital environment because I needed to find some place to work quickly. And right, now, because you know, we'll we'll see what comes next. Yeah, well, that's exciting. Well, you've been so generous with your time and so open. I really appreciate this. Is there anything else that you would like to add? Any advice you'd like to give people or any takeaways you'd like to offer? Um, I think in the end, when when everyone works together, uh, both family and healthcare professional, then everything can get taken care of. As needs change, as resources change, as a, as a healthcare professional, I have seen personally the challenges for people when either the, the long-term care insurance is running out potentially mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. or someone now has a, a devastating health situation when they were caught in between jobs or without healthcare insurance. And so sometimes those needs and resources change. And it just just to know that people do want to help and just to take that process one step at a time. Mm-hmm. We do need to bring people back to reality. I, I mean, when I'm working on a hospital unit and I'm taking care of multiple sick patients and someone says it comes out in a rage and says, my mother or my daughter or Mm -hmm. sister, Mm -hmm. whoever it is, and the expectation is way out of line, and even though we know they love them and care for them, and and yes, it's important, but when, when we say, I'm sorry, we will take care of that as soon as we can, and, you know, we have other sick people here, too, and their response is, I don't care. Ugh. We all kind of lose it every now and then, especially when our loved ones are involved. 
So, yeah. yeah, I mean, that's understandable. But, you know, your position is important, too. It's a real push-pull experience. Mm -hmm. And as long mm -hmm. as both parties know that and they're honest about that, then I think mm -hmm. it's fine. I mean, mm -hmm. you know, life is chaos. <laughs> we're dealing Ooh. we're dealing with a mess here. You know, what's the big deal? Just be honest about it and be patient and communicate. You know, that's yeah. really the important thing is to communicate your needs, feel that you're being heard, and hear the other side. It's, mm -hmm. it's communication right. is in two parts. <laughs> it's a right. two-way no, street. That's, be that's beautifully put, Jana. You it know. is. That's a very valuable perspective, and I think that that ties into what I was trying to say, people communicating their needs. Yeah. But yeah. To, to trust that someone does have their best interest in mind. At least they, they try to. Yeah. That always be the case. Right. <laughs> happening. Right. But they, they're trying. Right. So on that okay. note, Evelyn Godwin, I appreciate your being on the show. You've been terrific. Thanks for being open and for being such a caring healthcare professional. Ah, thank you so much, and it's been my pleasure. Okay, bye-bye. Bye now. That's our show for today. Thanks for listening. I'd love to know what you thought about today's show. You can email me at Jana at AgeWise.com. That's J-A-N-A -A at A-G-E-W-Y-Z, or Z, as my Canadian mother says. You can also find me online at AgeWise.com. And listen to this podcast and lots of other fresh ones on the Speak Up Talk Radio Network, the 24-7 streaming and on-demand radio network that's always on for you. I'm Jana Panaritis. See you next time. Until then, age well, age wise.